0: this week on Life and Faith.
1: I'm a Jamaican, I think that you may know that, and may I quote to you the song by Bob Marley and Peter Tosh called Get Up, Stand Up, Stand Up for Your Rights. Many people think a great God will come and, and wipe away everything and take us away to be with him. But if you know what life was worth, you would look for yours right here on earth. That's very biblical. The systems that we trust in to know have broken down. You know
2: that the local social services are in trouble because they're phoning us. We've already got six kids in the house.
1: But I've learned
3: that even when it doesn't go well, I can be okay.
1: What's the best way to understand the world and to live in it?
0: Welcome to Life and Faith from CPX, I'm Simon Smart.
2: And I'm Natasha Moore, and today we are talking about the soul. Do we have souls? Do people believe in the soul? And why?
0: Yes, and it can be pretty vague what we mean when we talk about the soul. But, you know, souls in our language, whatever it is we think we believe about it. Like, for instance, you can sell your soul. Mm -hmm. What else? Um,
2: we use it for like plane crashes and stuff. There were 172 souls on board or like SOS mm. Save Our Souls, these sort of remnants.
0: Yes, that's true. It's a bit depressing. But uh, we talk about things like it's good for the soul or it feeds the soul. That or type else of it's
2: soul destroying. <laughs>
0: yes, you can have cities that are considered to be soulless. Mm. I know well, one, one or two.
2: Name any in particular, alienate <laughs> I'm not, anybody. Not game <laughs> and this doesn't seem to be only a language thing, a kind of hangover from more religious times. Surveys consistently show that people think they have or are souls, even if they're skeptical about God or about religion. Uh, I found one UK survey, uh, this is from 2016, and they spoke to hundreds of high school students and found that. Even though less than half of them, about 45%, believed in God, more than half, 54%, agreed that humans have souls, and 52% that life has an ultimate purpose. So it's kind of interesting to think about how those things do or don't go together.
0: Yes, and this is what we want to talk about today. It's fascinating to me, those sorts of studies, you know, don't believe in God, do believe in the soul. What does that mean? What do people even mean when they say that? And the logic of that putting those two things together is something, I think, worth pursuing.
2: We want to start with a conversation that I had with my friend, Fiona. She is a chaplain at a girls' school. And last year, she sent me this graph that she'd made out of data she got from polling her Year 10 students, which I found fascinating. Uh, And so did she, and so did the students.
4: Yeah, I think everyone was surprised um, because it really did not match the language that they normally use to talk about their spirituality. And so I was surprised they were surprised. It was surprising.
2: Rewinding a bit, here's what happened.
4: Yes, one of the things I've been thinking about is how um, my students struggle with words for what they believe. Uh, So sometimes they can be quite confident. I do or don't believe this, but it doesn't necessarily match their actions. Um, And like that's true for all of us, but particularly for young people who are growing up here without anyone discussing spirituality with them at home they often don't have um language to talk about their experiences so i wanted to kind of help them think through maybe what are their experiences of spirituality in the past what have they been reflecting on where have they had kind of moments of interaction with the divine and why uh, or how are they considering or accounting for that in their own story of their spirituality cool so what did you do yeah, so we basically, um just across my year 10 classes, I uh, surveyed them on an anonymous survey that put, like, the poll results on the board, um, and so first I just asked them, you know, some kind of, like, what do you believe kind of questions, that kind of statement kind of stuff, and then I tried to prompt them for what do they actually think, or how does that match, like, their experiences, and so we asked them, you know, do you believe in ghosts, uh, do you believe in souls, do you believe in angels and miracles and a higher power. Uh, And I think what was really interesting was that the girls were so surprised by um, each other's responses because they had assumed that they might be the only one who'd kind of thought about this or was um, uh, leaning towards a more open spirituality.
2: Fee's survey was not a set of yes-no questions. She used a sliding scale.
4: I asked the students, do they 100% believe this is true, maybe believe this is true, it's a slight possibility or no, Um, and clearly you need my hand actions to do this.
2: The results were varied. They were pretty evenly split on ghosts, roughly a quarter for each. Uh, Yes, maybe, slight possibility, and no way. Miracles fared quite a bit better. About 70% answered either yes, definitely, or maybe. Only about 10% ruled out the possibility of miracles altogether. We study
4: miracles in year eight, and so I think that would bias them towards it.
2: Given the topic of this episode, there was one option in particular that I wanted to know about.
4: Yeah, so I think the one that particularly uh, stood out was the souls one, uh, where almost 50% of the students said that they 100% believed they had a soul or that souls were a thing, Um And it was a very small percentage, maybe one student in the year, uh, so one or two percent that said there was absolutely no chance that souls were a thing. Um, And when you think about kind of their prevailing narrative that, you know, we're just biological organisms that are predetermined by evolution, there's such a disconnect there to an idea of um, having a soul. And yet identity and purpose are such an important part of being a young person that it's almost impossible to think of those things without having a soul.
3: Mm.
2: So what were they most sceptical about? If they were least sceptical about the soul and that was maybe surprising, what were they most like? Nah, nah, nah. Uh,
4: Angels. Um, And when I talked to them about that, they were like, that is the most defined one by any kind of religion or spirituality. Um, And so I wonder if uh, the wording was slightly different, uh, whether it was something like divine messenger beings they might've been a little bit more on board for that. Uh, But yeah, the prescribed nature of angels meant they were like, no, that belongs to a religion and I don't belong to a religion.
2: So in terms of the discussion that you had after that then, um, did that kind of shed more light on where those things are coming from? What's influencing them to feel like some of these things are likely or unlikely or appealing or not appealing?
4: I think the tricky thing is that it's still so nebulous for them of why they think these things because they don't – like my personal diagnosis, right, is that they they are spiritual, they live in a spiritual world and they can't deny that spirituality and yet they want to um, and they live in a culture that's trying to a lot of the time. um, And so uh, they can't work out, you know, the gap between those two things. um, And so – yeah they don't they don't have the next steps forward to work out how to deal with this information
2: mm. I'm very interested in the discrepancy. It's not huge, but the discrepancy of like being open to um having souls as opposed to being open to there being a higher power, which I, as a Christian, feel like those go together um but clearly they feel able to separate those
4: yeah and I wonder too if um acknowledging a higher power would result in acknowledging a greater truth and they don't want to do that and I think um soul is something that comes up in music um and being such a strong music school I think they hear that idea of soul quite a lot from that
2: do you mean soul as like a um, genre of music or soul as in
4: no soul as in you played that well but without any soul Mm -hmm. kind of thing like um yeah, and also when they're writing in English, like, like, does your piece have a soul? Like, there's something in that. I can't quite work out what it is yet.
0: Well, Fiona's given us an interesting segue there to the latest Pixar film, which seems to be worth talking about in this context. It's called Soul, and it's about a musician.
2: Yes, Joe Gardner is a middle-aged, middle school music teacher who's always dreamed of being a professional jazz musician and who's kind of disillusioned with how his life has turned out. Music is all I think about. From the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I fall asleep at night.
1: I was born to play. It's my reason for living.
2: On the day that Joe lands his dream gig and thinks his. Life dream might finally be within his reach. He falls down a manhole on a New York street and finds himself on his way to the great beyond, but he is not ready to move on. Whoa! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Help! I'm not done! Holy! Oh my goodness!
1: Ah! Mm, this weird. It counts off. There's a soul missing.
0: Is this heaven? No.
1: Is it H E
0: double hockey sticks? (laughs) Hell? No, it's the great before. This is where new souls get their personalities,
3: quirks, and interests before they go to Earth. (laughs) Okay, look, I already
2: know everything about Earth and I don't want anything to do with it. You're missing out on the joys of life.
0: Now, really, the movie is about what makes life worth living. Now, Joe finds himself needing to convince. 22, who is a soul being prepared for life on Earth, that it's worth it. And she takes a lot of convincing. Now, Justine Toe joins us for this bit. Justine, good to see you. Thanks yeah,
3: it's great to be here.
0: Now, we've all seen the film. What are your thoughts? I was glad I saw it.
2: I really enjoyed it. It's my first Pixar film for many years. Well, me
0: too, because <laughs> my kids are a bit older now. Um, late teenagers so I miss these sorts of films I used to love yeah. them and They've I, changed quite a bit They have They've gotten a lot better in terms of the you know, the animations Unbelievable it's Incredible You're and also I, skipping
3: I that we get to watch movies for work
0: <laughs> well, That's yes. a big bonus as that well That was a bonus <laughs> and it was an enjoyable one but what about you Justine how did you find it?
3: Yeah I liked it I, I do feel like I'm a bit grumpy about it though even mm. though I love so much about it like firstly I love how it uses the word soul I think that the word soul itself comes with a religious baggage whether you like it or not. And given that people don't seem to talk about soul in that context these days, it's really refreshing to see a very mainstream film bringing it up as a topic of worthwhile kind of conversation and consideration, so I really like that. Yeah,
0: so there's at least saying, look, there's there's something beyond just yes, the material world. and that's what world. I really like.
3: Yeah, there mm. is something more where, you know, capital S, capital M. Mm. But what irks me, I guess, about the film as well is that it's totally putting the finger on the fact that there is something more and that life is meaningful. Um, but it also shrinks back from even dwelling on that more and just says, you know what? Life is so wonderful. We should just worry about today. Hmm. And an ordinary life is full of those pleasures, And I totally endorse that as well. I think that's true. But I'm like, but they point surely to something See, I'm else. I'm surprised right?
0: you're grumpy about this because you, of all people, have been known to talk about the fact that, yeah, it's not just about the typical kind of film we get in this sort of genre about, you know, you got to follow your dreams and you can be anything you want to be. In fact, this is almost the opposite of that. It tells you that the mundane things of life actually really matter. I like that part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because
2: this is partly what I mean by, oh, Pixar's changed, or Mm -hmm. maybe I kind of equate Pixar and Disney a little bit, but that Mm -hmm. it's actually a critique of the whole follow your heart, do do what you love, love, discover your dream, Mm -hmm. your passion kind of thing like it. And I thought, you know, um, in the great before, where Joe ends up trying to convince 22 that they should go head to, back to, to Earth, Earth, and she's yep. like, uh, not keen at all. He's really trying to say, like, actually, Earth is amazing. Because they're like, okay, the thing that's missing for 22 is the spark. The thing she needs that will her, preoccupi- her. Yeah. and there's an assumption for her and for Joe and for others in *The Great Before* that that's your thing that makes you you. For the Joe is music. Yeah. You know, you have to find the thing that you're awesome at that's going to fulfill you. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is the. It's whole like the equivalent Disney of you thing. need to
3: meet that person, right? Yeah. They will complete you. Sort of and
2: so I appreciated the that it. Spoiler I do alert! Love that. Didn't end up yeah. there. no, it, was it is more beautiful. Like life itself is full of wonder and worth living. But I agree that ending up at that point meant that, even though it has this frame of the big questions, the meaning of life, like is there a before, is there an after, um, that it actually kind of went. We we don't have answers to those big questions. What you have is here and now. So mm. it does kind of. Mm. Yeah. leave those alone. That's right, and I I
3: kind of feel like you know all of these like maybe everyday life filled with all these extraordinary pleasures when you really think about it, maybe they're all invitations down a, a particular kind of rabbit hole that will lead you to the biggest thing underneath all of that you know which I would say is God and life and the, and the universe and everything, but to kind of just say we're content to play in the shallows even though mm. the you know the shallows are great. But there might, there's a whole ocean out there. Yeah, I didn't I mean?
0: quite think of it like that, but yes, okay, I take take that point. I also think it's not surprising that it didn't come up with any kind yeah, of conventional no, sure. religious yeah. uh, answer no, to it. No, I this, mean, it so can't not answer surprising. those questions. And it, it mashed a function. few vague ideas together. of,
2: you and know, very amusingly or... in a lot of ways. Like yeah. the kind of being assigned personalities before birth. So <laughs> yeah. um like I listened to an interview with uh Pete Doctor, the director and one of the writers. Um and he talked about part of the motivation or springboard for it being, you know, looking at his baby and being like they like it's it's there already, like
0: yes.
2: their personality the, is Some there. of the descriptions mm. were and very
0: funny, weren't they? The you know, the highly strung person. The, <laughs> yeah, the, the can we stop
2: sending people through the self absorbed <laughs> insecure tent so much kind yeah. of thing.
0: <laughs> Like a lot of these great children's ish films, there's lots for you know, the adults.
2: And I did like that link to art, to music. That Apparently was Apparently cool. it started I love out that. he was going to write it as an actor,
3: whereas obviously for like soul, right, it works so well yeah. to yes. be music. No, but everyone gets that with music. I think you do get transported somewhere when you listen to a piece of music that grabs you and it's like, okay, I can have a very materialist or I can have a description of what's going on here, which is about sound waves hitting my ear and maybe there's, um, you know, particular scientific explanations for why it's beautiful, but no one reaches for the science when you're thinking about that. You just mm. like that. Just is amazing, and it escapes my way of articulating it clearly, perhaps. But I can still feel it. Do you yes. know what I mean? Like and it's- the way
0: they had the depicting the the way music comes together in a band. And how each person sort of starts to contribute something, and ends up with something way beyond any individual, and sort of washes over you, and it's wonderful. So the the intuition here is that we matter; that life is purposeful, one way or the other. And the concept of soul, or my spark, or whatever way you want to describe that, is one way of affirming that and thinking it through. In that sense, you know, it's pretty good, I think. This is Life and Faith and in this episode we're tackling the big and somewhat nebulous topic of the soul. Now school chaplain Fiona and Pixar have been helping us think through why this concept is important and attractive to many people today and hard to let go of. And it's clearly a useful idea for us as we wrestle with identity and purpose and meaning of life type questions. Though lots of us intuitively believe we have or are souls... That intuition has centuries of thought behind it, including, but not only, religious thought. Richard Middleton is a professor of biblical studies at Northeastern Seminary in upstate New York. His writings on this stuff include his book, A New Heaven and a New Earth. And his view is that actually the Bible doesn't say what most people think it says about the soul and the afterlife. Natasha spoke with him.
2: Let's start with an easy one here. Um... In 60 seconds or less, can you define for me what the soul is?
1: So that depends on which idea of soul you mean. So soul, in our popular conception, comes from the philosopher Plato. And soul means the immaterial part of a person, for him the mind. Um, In the Bible, soul actually is, in the King James Version of the Bible, is a translation of a word which means something like a living organism. So both animals and humans are created as living souls. And in the book of Numbers, there is a reference to corpses and they're called dead souls. So the word soul has different meanings in popular culture and in the Bible.
2: Can you give us a bit of backstory to that idea? So people do think of, I think, of soul as a religious and maybe even specifically a Christian idea. But going back to that sort of platonic idea, what's what's the history of this idea?
1: So the the history is that um in about the, the second and third centuries AD, as Christianity was spreading into Europe and Western Asia, uh, to communicate what essentially was a Hebraic Jewish notion of reality, God in the world and human beings, to a different audience, they used philosophical ideas from Plato. And Plato basically has a version of the human being as essentially mind or soul, that was his term. And then the body is almost an appendage to that, not really essential. And those categories came into both Judaism and Christianity in the early centuries and became the lens through which the Bible was viewed. And it got much more entrenched as it went through the Middle Ages. And as biblical scholars go back to the Bible to try and renew and critique the tradition They've been recovering what ancient Jewish and Christian ideas of reality were, which are a little bit at an angle to what we have popularly believed.
2: Mm. In surveys, a lot of people who say that they're Christians will also say, you know, that they have a body and a soul, and those are separate. Mm-hmm. They'll say that you know their soul will go to heaven. Um, is this not what Christians believe or should believe?
1: Well, it, it is what the majority of Christians do believe, because as in any religion. Um, even if you have an authoritative book like Judaism and Christianity do, nobody goes back and reads it purely, um, assumptionless. We all read it through the lens of centuries, even millennia of tradition, which have built up a, um, a lens through which we read the Bible. So I, I teach courses on, um, biblical worldview and the the narrative of the Bible and how that intersects with the narratives that we tell ourselves in the contemporary world. And in the last class I had this a little earlier today, we talked on this very same question. People said, all right, this is my belief about so-and-so, talk about what the Bible says in relation to it. And in every case, I said, that's not actually taught in the Bible, but I can tell you when that came into the tradition at a certain time, and now it is the lens through which we view the Bible. So one of my tasks is to clarify what the Bible is saying in its original historical context that might be different from what we believe. And then it's up to my students and my listeners to uh, decide which way are they going to go. Are they going to allow their beliefs to be critiqued by biblical beliefs, or do they not care about that?
2: So is that something, um, like what in what you would call a biblical faith, and if you're trying to take, you know, your Mm -hmm. worldview of what humans are um, from the biblical record. Mm -hmm. What do you believe that's in common with those popular notions of soul?
1: Yeah. So it depends which exact popular notions of soul we're talking about. But I think certainly um, humans, but not only humans, mammals and birds and reptiles have an interiority. They have an intentionality. Uh, We know that. Um, It's not quite the same as humans, right? But they, they have something inside them. And the way the Bible speaks of that is, In the creation account in Genesis 2, it says that God created the first human from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the human became a living organism, translated classically, a living soul. But what's interesting is animals are also created living souls. And animals also have the breath of God in them, in In the Bible. It's pretty consistent throughout the Bible. So we are all organisms. We breathe and live and have some interiority to us. We have intentionality. Um, I, you know, A reptile does not have quite the same intentionality I do in a love relationship. But in a reptile it seeks its prey and so forth and seeks to mate and so on. So there was something there. In the Bible, though, what is unique about humans is humans are made as God's image and likeness on Earth, which... Pretty much all biblical scholars today, with one or two exceptions, will say if you understand that in its ancient context, it means that humans, though we are part of the earth, we are connected to animals, we have a unique role to represent God and manifest the presence and power of God by what we do in the world. And we can block that by our violent actions, but by our generous actions of love, we can manifest that, just as in the ancient world, all ancient religions had these temples, um, with an image in the temple by which the worshippers got in touch with their deity. Humans are the image in the temple of creation by which all creatures get in touch with their deity. There's an analogy there. It's not quite exactly the same. There's more to be said. So the Bible would say humans are unique, but we're not unique by having interiority. Uh, animals have that too.
2: Mm. You've spoken in your work about like our, our instinct is to divide those like soul body, that kind of dualism. But you talk about the distinction, if I've read you correctly, between Mm -hmm. soul or soulishness and spiritual. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you talk us through that idea?
1: Um, So, yeah. So, spirit is an interesting concept. You know, in our modern Western notions, which we've inherited, spirit means something immaterial, right? Like a ghost or something like that. Um, What's very interesting is the Bible never states that spirit is immaterial. So one of the Jesus' analogies is the Holy Spirit, you know, Spirit comes and goes. You can't control the Spirit. It's like the wind which blows on the treetops. Now, wind has physical manifestations, and this, the Spirit which enlivens us, gives us breath, even a breath has a physical manifestation, right? So what's really interesting to me about the notion of Spirit in the Bible is that I would say Spirit is not about being immaterial. Spirit is about energy or power. So at one place, the Apostle Paul explains the resurrection of the dead this way. He says, the first man, Adam, was created from dust. He was mortal, and he was made a living soul. Uses the Greek version of the same Hebrew phrase. But the second man, Jesus, was raised a life-giving spirit. Now, if you're a Platonist, that means Jesus was raised without a body. But in the Gospels, he has a body. He eats fish with the disciples to prove he's, he's bodily raised. He says, come touch my hands and my feet and, and feel the wounds, I'm not a ghost. So what does Paul mean? Jesus was raised a life-giving spirit. Well, if spirit is the power energy of God to do good, then Jesus being raised from the dead gives us the power to join him in the resurrection. He, he shares that with us. Now we have, of course, in the Bible, evil spirits. That is, there is power of evil in the world that really has power. It, it deforms people, it can possess people, whatever. Um, but I think a lot of our, in our contemporary world, the ideological disputes, the violence, the wars of the world are spiritual in that there are good and evil powers at work in the world that shape us, that drive us, that energize us. So for me, spirit is much more about the power of God to do good or the power of evil to enslave us and drive us to do evil than than anything immaterial. Yeah.
2: So would I be accurate in saying that you wouldn't say you believe in the soul, as a lot of us conceive of the soul, but you believe in immortality?
1: I, I believe in the immortality of resurrection. That's the only immortality taught in the Bible. There's even an interesting phrase in one of the apocryphal books that's not in the Bible, but it's in the you know the, the Roman Catholic and Anglican um, canons, um, in which it says that the dead have the hope of immortality. It's an interesting phrase. The dead are not immortal, but those who are dead in, in faithful to God, have the hope of immortality, and it unpacks that as a hope of the resurrection.
2: There are a lot of questions here around how all this works. If there is an afterlife, what happens in between death and this new creation? The Bible isn't explicit about all of it, and people who read the Bible don't agree on what it does say. But Professor Middleton insists that the specifics of what you do believe about the soul and the afterlife and God is going to influence how you live here and now.
1: So, the, the, for me, it, it's grounded fundamentally in the notion that God created a world that he wanted to flourish. God's intention for the world was that creation would be beautiful, would be harmonious, and that humans would develop the potentials of creation to develop beauty in this world, culture, art, whatever. But we have, we have blocked that beauty by our violence we have used the agency god has given us and turned it against each other and the world is full of violence and in fact the fundamental problem in the book of genesis in chapters 4 and 6 is that violence fills the world one of the first acts of humans is murder right that's violence that's the use of human agency negatively jesus comes into the world to use human agency positively to suck the poison of violence out of the world in the cross and to give it back to us as redemption So in my opinion, the notion that God wants the world to flourish and that the resurrection is God saying, even evil will not prevent my purposes from coming to fruition. So there is a a harmony between the beginning and the end. The end is when God remakes the world into a new heaven and new earth and raises from the dead all who are faithful to be the new human race in the world. But what's interesting about the New Testament is it says, even before that end, We have a foretaste of it we already have the spirit the spirit who will raise us bodily we have that spirit to renew us morally that we become new people so if you want a sampling of what humans should be like this is the word should very important you should look at those who are renewed by the Holy Spirit those who claim to be Christians of course the fact that you claim to be Christian doesn't mean you actually manifest God's purposes for flourishing you could actually be in bondage to evil Many of us are in all kinds of ways, and we all need renewal. So, in my opinion, the resurrection is actually a matter of commitment to this world, whereas soul, in the classical sense, says that this world is not as important as some other world. No, this is the world that's important. Um, may I quote, so I'm I'm a Jamaican, I think that you may know that, and may I quote to you the song by Bob Marley and Peter Tosh called Get Up, Stand Up, Stand Up for Your Rights. Many people think a great God will come and and wipe away everything and take us away to be with him. But if you know what life is worth, you would look for yours right here on earth. That's very biblical, very biblical.
2: What do you make of the instinct that people have, you know, people who profess Christian faith, but lots of people who don't profess Christian faith would say that they think they have a soul. Um, Mm -hmm. So what do you make of, like, why do we want to believe that? What's appealing about it? Why do we cling to it?
1: Well, even Plato, okay, the great philosopher, the Greek philosopher, was not a Christian. He was pre-Christian, but he had this notion of a soul. And for Plato, I think the notion of a soul was some point of stability and universality in the world, because the world is a flux. Everything is passing away. But the soul is this immaterial part of you that never changes. It just is you, and it's eternal. So I think people need something that's beyond this world to cling to, something transcendent. And if you don't have God, you're going to find a substitute. And I think soul functions as a God substitute in our world, as something to cling to. And I would say, go to the real source, look for God. Soul is a pale second best, in my opinion.
0: You've been listening to Life and Faith with me, Simon Smart, Natasha Moore, and Justine Toe. Thanks to Dr. J. Richard Middleton and to Fiona for speaking with us on the topic of soul. Now, we hope this half hour has really cleared up once and for all this very confusing and mysterious subject. Or probably not. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love you to share it with someone. You can also leave us a rating or review. Or if you have thoughts, you can get in touch with us by email at podcast at publicchristianity.org. Next week.
3: The fact that I was hanging around ashrams doing goat bleating was indicating that something was missing. I found out my birth mum was a Christian and a full-on Christian. And she kept talking about how God was a person and he wanted to meet me. And I was going, oh no, she's mental.